The Lord's really good. I just feel really, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I've been kind of feeling spiritually lousy lately, actually, and it's my own fault. Um, but this morning, it just feels really good. Just being here, the presence of God during the worship service, uh, just, uh, I don't know, I, I just feel really refreshed in the spirit. Um, I'm just thankful for what God's doing. God's doing a lot of great things. We got Chris Morgan here. Where's Chris? Now, Chris, hang on. Chris is the guy about a year ago. I went to, got a call, went to visit him in the hospital, and, and the doctors at that point were saying, you got a year, year and a half at the outside, and, you know, um, he found three tumors in, in his uh, uh, brain, and it was looking about as bad as it could look, and uh, uh, the report, as I understand it, Chris, was uh, as of, what, two or three weeks ago, went back, and uh, there's no tumors. They're gone. There's z- z- no, zero tumors. Praise God. Stand up. Uh, uh, this is Chris. Let me prove. Praise God. Good to have you here. Amen. That's great. Amen. I, th- that, that's, just too, that's just too cool. I, I, can I give another little testimony uh, along those, the same lines? My dad uh, is 75. He became a Christian two years ago. Called him about two weeks ago, and he had, uh, um, he woke up and half his body was paralyzed, and he had no feeling in his face. His mouth was drooping. He couldn't even blink his eye. He'd lost all feeling there. It was, uh, he thought he had a stroke, but it, it hurt very bad, and it itched real bad. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you've got shingles uh, in, in your uh, um, in nervous system, and um, bad news is that uh, it will take probably eight months to a year to get it all out of your system. And most likely you won't get all of your bodily functions back. And there's a good chance you won't get any of them back. And he couldn't, you know, hardly even walk. And he couldn't talk. His mouth was stern. He couldn't blink his eye. He was very, very depressed. At his age, the shingles can do havoc. I talked with him. He was very depressed, very discouraged. I said, Dad, Dad, you know, uh, there's a God. You know that. And, and God can heal. And so I'm going to just start calling around and get people to pray, start praying for you. And by the end of tonight, you're going to have a bunch of people praying for you. I want you to know that, and I want you to be praying for you. And, and in fact, he got so touched, he started crying. You know, it was just really something else. The next morning, he woke up. The pain and the itching were gone. Um, and he had most of the movement back in his, in, in his body. As the day went on, he got more of it back. The next day, he went to the doctor to find out why. You know, he was supposed to have this for eight months to a year and probably not get any of it back. He went to the doctor. And the doctor had given him an MRI, by the way, to determine that there was shingles. Really, he had determined it, because at his age, it's very dangerous. Went back, and he said, what, what is it? I'm getting my feeling back. I'm getting my you know, speech back, and the pain's gone. And the doctor said, I don't know. I gave him another MRI, and there's no shingles. <laughs> now, here's the funny part. My dad, you know, you got to know my dad, okay? He's, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a street guy, and he got saved two years ago, okay? So you got to cut him a lot of slack. But my dad is so great. He said, he's talking, he says, now that doctor, he tries to tell me he got a misdiagnosis, wants to call it now Bell's palsy. And, then, and it, so I asked him, I said, well, what's wrong with your machine? I mean, you know, what, what, what's the problem here? And then he goes, <laughs> and he tells the doctor, okay, this is my dad, and this is the quote. He goes, how the hell are you supposed to argue with a machine here? It's scientific proof. God's the one who healed me. You better admit it. <laughs> so, praise God. I have never heard my dad, I've heard my dad talk like that in one sense, but never talk like that as a way of worshiping God. Okay, anyways, there you go. God's good. God's good. We got a lot to, to praise the Lord for. 
This morning we're picking up, my goodness, we got a wild church. Uh, we're, uh, we're picking up our study in the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Or uh, the, the, the passage is printed in the bulletin. <clears throat> I love doing the Bible this way. This is the way to do it. Get down, take it apart, verse by verse, shows the priority of the word, preach what's in the text. This is the way to do it. Verse 14, Paul says this, For this reason... Little, little, little comment there. For this reason goes back to chapter 2. Paul started this whole chapter with that phrase, for this reason. Look at 3.1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And then, for those of you who are here, you know that he all of a sudden started getting, he was going to start praying then, but he got caught up in a new thought, and he ends up spending 13 verses reiterating all this stuff about the unity that we have in Christ. So this phrase, he's going to start praying now in verse 13, and this phrase, for this reason, goes back to what he was talking about in chapter 2. Namely, who we are in Christ. We're the body of Christ, we're the family of Christ, we're united in Christ, he died for us. And for this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father. Just a reverential term. From whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Through a spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. May have power. Power together with all the saints. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep. Is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. Fullness of all, the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord, I would ask that you would anoint your word because it's your word. Its authority derives from you and nowhere else. Its power derives from you and nowhere else. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd honor your word. I'm acutely aware, Lord, this morning that I have no authority to do this. I have no ability to do it. My words are utterly inadequate. Lord, I'm very aware that, that you, you have to come through on this and honor your promise that the word wouldn't return void and anoint it, Lord. And God, I pray that you'd open up our eyes, our ears, our, our understanding to receive what is said here this morning and give me the ability to say it straight and anoint it with your spirit, Lord. The same kind of anointing that was here during the worship service, Lord God, let it be present with your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We're at a crucial point. In a study on the book of Ephesians. We're at sort of a transitional period. These verses are, are sort of a transition. From the first half of the book to the second half of the book. Ephesians 1 through 3 basically told us the facts of the Christian life. Basically told us about what is true because of what Jesus has done for us. Who we are in Christ, in other words. Very, very, very important stuff. Chapters 4 through 6 are going to talk about applying those truths to our life. What, is the, what does our life look like when it, in fact, is impacted by the facts that he talked about in chapters 1 through 3? This is a transitional point from the first to the second, from the facts to the application. You might think of it this way. If, if uh, the book of Ephesians, if you, if you think of the book of Ephesians as a car, chapters 1 through 3 tell us about the kind of car we have. Chapters 4 through 6 tell us how to drive that car. But these verses right here are, are, are talking about the beginning steps of that application. You might liken it to finding the ignition and finding the foot pedal, the, the gas pedal, and starting to learn how to rev up the engine. 
Paul's getting ready to tell us how to begin to apply all of this. It's a crucial kind of uh, transition thing. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, we saw Paul pray that at, at the end of chapter 1, he prayed that the Ephesians would know what he just said, that they'd understand what he just said. Here he prays for their empowering. Father, I'm getting ready to tell them about what, how to live this stuff out, but I pray that you'd give them the power to do it. Empower on the inner man. Teach them how to find that ignition, begin to turn the keys to that ignition, begin to rev up that thing. It's kind of like this, and this is why this is so important. Picture the, uh, the, the plan of salvation, the gospel. What Paul's talked about in chapters 1 through 3 is as a really great sports car, an incredible sports car, the best kind of sports car. And people were disagreeing with me last, that first hour was so rebellious. I, I, I thought a Ferrari was like the best sports car you could get. And somebody started hollering out, Lamborghini, or Lamborghini, or Lamborghini, or something. <laughs> Lamb or something. Yeah, Lamborghini's better, or Lamborghini's better. Or someone's saying a Porsche was better. I'm going with Ferrari because I don't know diddly squat about those other ones. I don't know anything about a Ferrari either, but it's the one that I'm used to, so I'm going to go with it. It's like a Ferrari. we got the souped-up Ferrari. It's got a V10 under the engine. It's got, it's got a carburetor and an alternator and an investigator, and, and it's got all, this, it, it, all these extras, you know. Uh, I can tell you, <laughs> Rick Raleigh's getting, ready to, he's getting nauseous. He, he knows a lot about cars. I don't, I don't know anything. Why I'm using this as an analogy, I don't know. But... We got this great car, and then Ephesians 1 through 3 is about God telling us what a great car we've got, all this stuff, you know, and how fast we can go or whatever. 4 through 6 is going to tell us how to drive this thing, how to really, you know, tear up the road with this thing. Now Paul's telling us about the ignition, how to start the engine. That's why I titled it, Christians Start Your Engine. Now, this is important for this reason. Many times we never get to the application stuff. We never get to the point of turning on the car. We never learn how to drive. It's kind of, I think, sort of uh, endemic to, to contemporary Christianity. That we've got a lot more knowledge than we know what to do with. Isn't that right? I think we're probably the most learned populace of, 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 of Christians that church history has ever seen. We've got more ways of studying the Bible, more Bible helps, more concordances. Oh, incidentally, here's a, here, here's a new Bible that's out called the Quest Study Bible. Uh, you'll want to get it. I, I was a contributor to it, and it's really, really good. All the, the best one out there. You can get more knowledge by reading this. You know that? We've got all these Bible study helps. That was a cheap commercial. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have all this. But here's the question. Why don't our lives so often reflect that? We know that we're filled with the power of God, but it's so often not reflected in our life. Maybe it's usually not reflected in our life. We know that we've got the joy of the Holy Spirit in our life, but we're still depressed. And we know that we've got the love of God flowing through us, but we still hate. And we, we know that we've got, we're, we're, we've got victory over sin, but we still struggle with the same old sin. And some people think, well, what you need is more Bible studies. You've got to study more. Learn the original Greek. Learn about the geographical background of the Palestinian setting out of which Paul operated. And then you'll be able to conquer that sin in your life. But you know it doesn't happen like that. Because knowledge in and of itself doesn't transform, does it? I know from experience that you could have a ton of knowledge. You could even have, let's say, a Ph.D. in theology. You could be a regular theological mechanic. You could know how the inner workings of every verse of the Bible actually operate. And your life would still be diddly squat for Jesus because you never get around to applying it. It can happen. It can happen. Because knowledge in and of itself doesn't transform. But a lot of the church, what a lot of us, what a lot of me, and believe you don't know how much this is, sermon is directed to me this morning, what a lot of our lives are like are sort of like sitting in a Ferrari that we just inherited and 
And uh, we spend all of our time memorizing what makes it work. We, we know everything about the engine. We kick the tires. We go to church and we polish it a little bit more. Man, isn't that a good-looking Ferrari? Ha, <laughs> ha. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and, and look at a V8, V10, V17 under the engine. You know, this, is, this is one honking car. Yeah, but have you ever driven it? Well, no, I, I don't know how to drive it. I mean, but I like the car. The thing is, is that God gave us a Ferrari for a reason. And the reason is to go very, very, very fast. <laughs> Amen. He wants us to be ripping up the road, laying down the rubber for Jesus. How much mileage am I going to get out of this analogy? I don't know. <laughs> laying rubber for Jesus. <laughs> uh, it's getting a little corny. He wants us to do something with it, but here's what it's like. We're in this Ferrari. We know everything about it. We, we like to memorize the dashboards, but these people on these tricycles are speeding past us, and we wonder why. Why can't we go that fast? You know, you promised us that we'd be able to go really fast, and we sit in the car and wonder why. Sometimes we actually get out and we start walking on our own because we know how to walk. That we can do. We don't know a thing about driving a Ferrari, but we start living our life on the same energy and the same kind of deals that have worked for us in the past, and Christ becomes utterly irrelevant to the way we work out our marriage or the way we work out our parenting or the way we work out our, our relationships at the office or the way we just live our life. We're living in a Ferrari, but it does us absolutely no good. And when we've got to go anywhere, we just rely on the same old tricks we've always used when all the while we got the souped-up V8 under the hood, raring to go. We've got to find the ignition. Start turning this thing on. Start going somewhere with it. The purpose for the vehicle is to go somewhere God wants us to be laying down rubber. We've got to find the ignition. That's what these verses are about. God, help them find the ignition. That's really a, a modern translation of these passages. It's, it's accurate to the Greek. Finding the ignition. This morning I want to talk about, real briefly, about step number one. There's a couple of steps. In fact, this prayer, each line of this prayer builds upon the preceding prayer. Um, there's a couple of steps to it. This morning we're just going to lay down step number one. And it has basically two points. First point is this. Paul says, and it's all found in verse 16. Father, I pray that they would be strengthened with power in the inner man. I pray that they would be strengthened with power in the inner man or the inner being. The Greek actually has inner man. I wanted to be a little bit, you know, I talked with Deb Carr about this. Should we call it inner man or inner self or inner child or inner what, you know? Innards, maybe just innards. So I'm just going to call it inner being or inner man. Uh, just to be, uh, never mind. What is the inner man, the inner self, the inner woman? What, what is, what, what's Paul talking about there? The problem that we have in our culture is that I think most people don't have a clue as to what that even means. He wants us to be strengthened in the inner self, but what on earth does that mean? Because we live in a culture that has, as, as its almost exclusive focus, the outer self. The outer self. What is the outer self? The outer self is everything that's out, <laughs> okay? Everything you can see, everything that's visible. My hair, my skin, my nose, my mouth, everything about me. In fact, my outer self is everything that gets displayed in my relationships with other people. It is the Greg Boyd that is out there. That's my outer self. We live in a culture that says that your self-definition is your outer self. What's really important about you is your outer self. In fact, what is all of you is your outer self. And so your outer self is very, very important. Which is why we've got in our culture 
this kind of idea that you've got to really take care of this outer self. We're in an exercise craze where you've got to work out, you know, five times a week and get that body in shape and all that's really good. You know, do that. I used to do that. I don't do it anymore. I can feel it. But get your body in shape. That's really good. We spend a lot of time grooming the outer self. You know, how much time did you spend on the outer self this morning, huh? Combing your hair, you know, bad hair day, good hair day, you know, get, uh, brushing the outer self teeth, freshening up the outer self in other ways, taking a shower for the outer self, and, and that's all, I'm not like saying this is sin, believe me, I'm glad you did it. Oh, great, we're not supposed to use deodorant. No, do that. But we live in a culture that has an exclusive focus on the outer self, how it looks, how it feels, what's it getting, how it dresses. Da-da-da-da-da, because that, in terms of our culture, is what you are. What's also true about the self, the outer man, Paul uses these phrases quite a bit in his epistles, what's also true about the outer man is that no matter how much you pamper it, take care of it, exercise it, feed it, da-da-da-da, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Nobody wins in the battle with the outer self. The outer self, the Bible says, is wasting away. <laughs> well, this is the kind of sermon you want to hear on a blizzardy morning. <laughs> That's uh, true, we're all, you know, unless you're under the age of 20, if you're here on the age of 20, all of us over 20s admire you, you are still building more, more body cells than, than, than you're losing. The rest of us are losing body cells faster than we're putting it there. We're, we're, in fact, when you leave here, you're going to leave a bunch of body cells all over the place. <laughs> Do you know that you shed, every seven years, you shed, shed all your body cells? We're like, you know, perpetual snakes. The body, it's wasting away, it's falling apart, there it is, it's, there's nothing you can do about it. I went to the doctor, uh, the emergency room actually, uh, two weeks ago. Do you know that? I went to the emergency room. I got a, some food caught in my esophagus. Oh, laugh. I was almost dead. And you're laughing. Oh, I bet you almost died. No, I like it. But it is funny. I, you know, and, and I, I've had this for the last year. I've been getting this thing and caught in my, in my I, food caught in there. And it is gross. I mean, because you... Your body both wants to swallow it and get rid of it in the other way, you know what I mean? And so you're kind of caught between a warfare between swallowing and, and heaving. It, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. And so you're over the sink, and, uh, and usually it comes out. Some of you had it. I had two people tell me after last service, oh, I've had that. It's really, it gurgles, and it burns. It's terrible. You think it, you're having a heart attack. So I, this one wouldn't come out. So I went to the, the doctor. Oh, my nightmare was just beginning. You ever had a plumber over to like unclog your toilet? <laughs> and they put a snake down there, one of these long snakes, they go in there? That's how they do it. They should have just poured down Drano or something, it would have been more pleasant. He goes in with this thing four times down my throat. They gave me some drugs to try to make me feel good, you know, like, uh, and they said, oh, you won't remember any of this. You're going to be so high. And I'm thinking, oh, good, this is legal, you know. <laughs> All right. I haven't been buzzed for a long time. Good, give me a good dose. And I was feeling a little happy, but as soon as he started going down my throat with the snake, it was like stone sober. I said, you got to get me more of this stuff. <laughs> and he did, and it didn't work. Four times, they finally went down there with a suction thing and pulled it out. Oh, it was, yeah, man. My Adam's apple was about four times as long just from being stretched with that Drano plug that they went down there with. They said the reason was because I've got a flap in my esophagus. Isn't this great? I just had a surgery on my throat. Now I'm going to have to have my esophagus taken care of. He says, you've got a ring around your esophagus. I go, what do you mean a ring? I, how do you get a ring? Would I swallow a ring? How do you get a ring around your esophagus? He said, no, you were born with it. And I said, well, well then why am I just now in the last year coughing up food? 
He says, well, because your body, around this age, it starts to settle. <laughs> yes, Greg Boyd, you are shrinking. <laughs> I love it. And it's going to choke you to death. As your body settles, the flaps come out. You go, what do you mean my body's settling? He says, well, around the late 30s, you know, you start to actually lose height. Your back starts to get crunched. Uh, you know, you start to slope more. Your muscles kind of tend to, man, I'm feeling like, hey, what's he saying? What <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's just the way it is. It's the outer man. It's not a happy story. It's going downhill. We're going to all end up six feet below the ground. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. The outer man is wasting away. But the Bible says that that is not the totality of what you are. In fact, that is not your essence. There is what the Bible calls an inner man. An inner person, an inner being. So the Bible calls your heart, or calls it your soul. In the redemption, sometimes it calls it the new self. There is a you at the core of you that is not defined. It is not defined by your physical being. It's not defined by how you interact with the world. There's a core of you that is defined by the fact that God created you as this, as a soul, as a, as, as a heart. And the Bible says that even if your outer self is wasting away, this inner self can be perpetually in the process of getting more and more and more life. Look at, look at if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn here. I just want to read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a great passage. Listen to this now. Paul says, we have this treasure. It's talking about the Ferrari. We have this Ferrari in jars of clay. <laughs> to mix up the analogy a little bit. These bodies, these outer selves are jars of clay. That's all they are, jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, let's listen to this. Listen to this. We are hard-pressed on every side. You ever feel like that? It's me, the last two weeks. Hard-pressed on every side. Life is a pressure cooker. My external self is being pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Look at verse 16, then. Therefore, we never lose heart. I don't care how bad it gets. We don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Admit that. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Folks, this is where the ignition is. This is where life is to be found. This is where the issues of life are to be lived out. The Bible says that out of the heart, the issues of life are decided. You have an inner self. But the problem that we have in our culture is that we're so focused on the external self and invest so much time on the external self, we forget that there's this inner self there. We don't spend any time on that, any attention in that, exercising at all, feeding that at all. Our focus is, is, is totally external. And then what happens is that what would be true of our physical bodies if we treated it this way happens to our spiritual self when we treat it that way. There's a law in the spirit that is just as real as the laws of physics in the external world. If you don't feed your external self, it gets hungry. It begins to get weak. It starves. If you don't give it any attention, if you don't take care of it, if you don't exercise it, it starts to decay. It, it, there's a natural law that says that if you're not investing anything in it, it will go downhill. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And it happens very fast. I used to exercise a lot. I haven't been for the last uh, half a year or so. I've been too busy. Man, do I feel it. I'm shrinking. You don't have to try to decay. It will just happen naturally. There's no effort required. You want, you want your body to decay? Just sit. It will do it for, for It's very easy. The same is true with regard to the inner self. 
You don't have to try to decay spiritually. You don't have to be good at it. It doesn't take any attention. Just don't give it any attention. Just ignore it, and you'll find that it starts to decay. If the inner self isn't fed and taken care of, see, it needs to be strengthened. That's what the verse is saying. Otherwise, it begins to decay. Trouble is, if you have an external focus, you don't even really notice it. Most of the people in our culture don't really notice it. In fact, you can cover it up really good. But it's still real. You know, the last couple weeks, I'm just going to tell you this. Do you remember back, back in August, I, I told you about how the Lord really impressed on me how I was supposed to give him the first hour of every day? Remember that? None of you remember? Okay, you remember? All right. I was going to say, good, I don't have to bring this up then. Well, I've blown it the last two weeks. I've been under pressure by this publisher. I was supposed to have a book done in September, and it's way overdue. And, and, and I, he said December 1st is the absolute deadline, or I'm dead meat. And so I've been working you know, day and night on this book. And uh, consequently, that hour a day got changed to half hour, 15 minutes. Finally, it's like, I'll catch you later. You know, as you're running out the door. And man, you know what? I feel it. I really feel it. During the day, I feel it. I, I, I was feeling so good. I, I, was, I was feeling like really in touch with God, and there's this excitement and energy there. And now I just notice. And I'm glad at least I was in touch enough to notice it. <laughs> at least I notice when it's missing. But it's like, boy, do I, 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 I'm kind of feeling weak here. You know, if you're a fine-tuned athlete, three days off and you start to feel the process of atrophy, it's the same thing in the, in the spirit. It starts to go downhill. And I'm, you know, I tell myself, well, the Lord understands. And I think the Lord does understand. I mean, I'm really under the gun, you guys. I mean, cut me some slack, will you please? I promise I'll get back to it real, real soon here. But it's really been a tough time, all right? Don't look at me so harshly like, what kind of a pastor are you, a man of God? I, don't... I pray, but it's just, it hasn't been good. I've been kind of backslidden the last couple of weeks, okay? And I'm really glad that there are people who are praying for each sermon because I borrow that prayer when I get up here when I'm not feeling very weak, strong in it of myself. The question we got to ask yourself, ourselves, i got to ask myself is this. For all the time we spend on the external self, what are we doing for the internal self? What are we doing? How much time are we investing there? How much attention are we giving it? How much food are we giving it? The first step is to realize that that's where the ignition is. But to find the ignition, you got to quit being concerned about everything else around. You've got to, at some point, turn to that. Now, how do we strengthen the inner man? This is the second point. I can get through it real quick. This is the second point. Paul says in this text, verse 16, to be strengthened in the inner man through the Spirit, through the Spirit of God. What does that mean? Whenever Paul talks about spiritual strengthening, he always brings up the Holy Spirit. What does he mean? He says in, in Galatians chapter three or, uh, 5, verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What's he getting at in all of this? You know, sometimes I think we take that phrase, and we'd understand this phrase, be strengthened by the Spirit in this way. We expect God to kind of come down and do some kind of supernatural thing that's just sort of going to make us. People tell you, you know, well, you know, people have a problem, some kind of sin in their life, a problem with their marriage, or what have you. You hear this phrase sometimes turn into a cliche. Well, you, you, you just got to yield to the Spirit, right? You got to yield to the Spirit. You got to let go and let God. Has anyone ever told you that? Well, you got to let go. And, well, what do you mean let go and let God? What, what are we talking about? You got to be saved, sanctified, and surrendered. And we have all these nice phrases that we throw around, but it's not really clear what do they all mean. What are you getting at? How do you do that? 
What's behind it a lot is this. We in our culture of quick fix, a lot of times spiritualize this language to mean this. We think that there's going to be a time where God is in one event going to strengthen us. Right? We, 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 we look for one big event, one big happening, a sort of euphoric sort of experience, uh, a mountaintop experience. And when that happens to you, you are going to be so filled with God. <laughs> and your, 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 your character is going to change and your sin is going to be gone and you're going to be totally redeemed and you're going to manifest Christ perfectly. Well, on that day when you have arrived, when you've had that euphoric experience, everything is going to be wonderful. So you wait, and you wait, and you pray, and say, God, give me that experience. You know, deliver me out of this. Change me, Lord. And we keep thinking that there's going to be one experience when it's going to happen. We think it's a big event, and we're passive about it. And usually we only get really serious about it when we're in a crisis situation. Amen. When we need it, when we're backs up against the wall, when the marriage is going down the tubes, when the kids are, are totally flaking out, when we're totally under temptation that we're going to fall, then... We cry out, God, give me your strength right now. You promised it in the verse. I want it right now. And when it doesn't happen, we go, why, 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 why? God's promises aren't true. Here's the point. You can't ignore the spiritual laws of how we're made any different than the spiritual laws of how we're made physically. You don't become a, a Kirby Puckett who can hit home runs unless you practice like Kirby Puckett. You can't become a Gary Gaetti fielder unless you practice like Gary Gaetti. And you will never catch a football like Anthony Carter unless you practice like Anthony Carter. And you'll never, ever, ever have a body like Arnold Schwarzenegger unless you work out like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger didn't wait till a crisis to the, to, to the Mr. Universe Championships and then say, oh, now I'm going to try really hard to have big muscles. You can't do that. What's important is not what you do in a crisis situation. What's important is not what you do when you stand up at the batter's box. What's important is not what you do when you're on the playing field. What's important is what you do when you're off the playing field, when you're not in the competition. Because what you do off the playing field determines what you're going to do on the playing field. The background is what's important. And so it is with the Spirit. The Bible says walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? Think about it. Most people, when they walk, put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but that's how most people do it. One foot in front of the other. Walking in the Spirit isn't some euphoric experience. It's a matter of putting one foot in front of the other. Okay, I'm walking, and now I'm going to walk again. I think I'll walk again, and now I will walk again. One foot, in, it's a moment by moment by moment sort of thing. And if you don't know how to walk, if you're just learning how to walk, you've got to think very hard about that. Okay, this foot, okay, now, now this. And, and it takes a lot of attention. As you get good at it, you don't have to think about it very much. This is kind of natural. And now you're in a position where you can start learning how to run. And the more you learn how to run, the faster you can go. Or to go back to Ferrari stuff, you've got to be able to drive 10 feet before you can drive 10 miles. And you've got to be able to drive 10 miles an hour before you can drive 100 miles an hour. And it starts on a moment-by-moment-by-moment moment moment kind of thing. Here, 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 here's the, the bottom line. God wants to strengthen us in the inner man. And it requires of us two things. Number one, being aware that we've got an inner man that God is working in. And number two, being willing. Here's the ignition. Being willing to make the decision to let God strengthen us. But I don't mean in sort of a theoretical sense. I mean moment by moment by moment. If, if anyone asks us, if you're a believer here this morning, if anyone asks you, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of your life? We say, yes, he's Lord of my life. 
But our life is nothing more than our moment-by-moment living. So the question comes to mean this. Is he Lord of this moment? And now is he Lord of this moment? And now is he Lord of this moment? Is he Lord of this thought? And now is he Lord of this thought? Is he Lord of this attitude? And is he Lord of this attitude? Is he Lord of this moment, this event, this relationship, or not? Lordship over our life is simply the cumulative effect of having him Lord over each moment of our life. And when, for God to strengthen us, it means, here's a weird analogy, but it means taking every event, taking every moment, taking every relationship, and letting God turn it into a barbell by which he strengthens the inner man. Everything in our life is an opportunity for God to strengthen us. If we are, number one, aware of it and not just focused on external stuff, and number two, if we are willing. I talked to a guy just several weeks ago who is running around the country chasing revivals because he just wants to become something for God. He wants his character to be right with God. He's got a good heart, but his head's all mixed up, I think. He's, he's running around the place trying to find these revivals. Wherever there's a move of God, he wants to be there. Trouble is, his marriage is on the rocks because he's never home. If you want to find God, you want to grow in God, you want to become something for God, Start by having a relationship with your wife. Let Jesus be Lord of this relationship. And now let Jesus be Lord of your relationship with your kid. And now take Jesus Christ out into this moment and that moment. Put one foot in front of the other. Don't try to run a four-minute mile when you're still in a wheelchair. And see, if you start doing that, you won't have a 19-inch spiritual bicep and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger tomorrow. But a year from now, you might. You look back and see God changes us one step at a time. And you look back and you realize that you're a different person than you were a year ago. I was in the video store. This is my last point. I was in the video store the other night. And I haven't been doing really good spiritually. I haven't really felt like I was really hitting on all pistons. I'm tired of these car analogies. but <laughs> My Ferrari felt like more like a Volkswagen, okay? But I know it's a Ferrari, but I'm not doing a good job of, 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 of driving it. But God got through on this one. I, this is just one illustration. This is where, you know, when you, when you, when you introduce, when you inject uh, Jesus Christ into our, your, your mundane life, it stops being so mundane. Every moment becomes a project that God's working on you with. And when God works on you, he usually works on somebody else. I was at a video store looking for a movie with my boy. My boy in video stores or toy stores, it's way too much stimulus, way too much stimulus. He's bouncing off the wall. He's, you know. <laughs> he got it from his mother. And... <laughs> I can't even put this on here. He's bouncing off the walls. I'm going nuts. I'm really going nuts. Uh, he's, he's hollering. He's screaming. He's t telling me all this stuff. I can't concentrate. He's making a scene. My external self is saying, is saying, grab him by the arm, lift him up, give him a harsh word, show all the people around here or who are at this point looking at you that you are a good father and take him out and forget the movie. And that was basically just a matter of saying, I want to get this mosquito out of my ear. But there's another, the, the, the Lord is always talking to us if we listen. The Lord was saying something. Do you think God wouldn't be concerned about this event? God's concerned about every event. God's concerned about the hairs of your head. He's very concerned with this event, and he's talking to you. And the voice inside was saying, Greg, get down on one knee and talk to him face to face, nose to nose, eye to eye. And I did. I said, Nathan, what's the problem? And then the thing was, the voice was saying, you know, basically, you got a Ferrari, start going 150. Love with my love towards him. 
Listen to what he's saying, Greg. Listen and care and show him you care by your eyes. So I just got down there in that video star. I kind of grabbed him like this and I go, what is it, Nathan? And you see, he was still bouncing off the walls, but, but, but the Lord, first of all, quieted me in the inner man. You can deal with this, Greg. Who cares what those people think? You can deal with this. I've equipped you to deal with this. Love him with my love. But not only that, but when I talked to him, part of the problem was that he was talking up at me, but I wasn't looking at him, so he just couldn't believe that I was hearing him. And with all the stimulus, he couldn't hear my words, so he was really going overboard to get my attention. When I came down to his level, it was a way of saying, it was a way of Jesus saying to him, you are important. What you have to say is very, very important to me. I'm here to listen to you. Strengthening. He becomes a barbell for me. And in the process, God blesses him. Tells him a little bit about my love, and therefore tells him a little bit about Christ's love towards him. This starts, the ignition starts, not when we get on the raceway, but at two seconds after we walk out this door. Are we letting the Spirit strengthen us with our relationship with our wife, with our kids, with our friends? The world is one big opportunity to grow, to grow strong. And even though we waste away on the outside, if we follow the leading of the Spirit moment by moment by moment, being aware and submitting, we're renewed daily in the inner man.